preach. That's just a little pre-sermon, okay? Uh, amen. We are we are uh, on, we're we're still talking about Old Testament Bible heroes from the Old Testament, and um, last Wednesday night we began talking about the greatest king that that the Bible says was the greatest king in Judah, in that in that southern division of Judah. And uh, you got y'all remember who that was, don't you? It was Hezekiah? Y'all are familiar with a man by the name of Hezekiah, a great king by the name of Hezekiah. And the scripture says of Hezekiah, God's God's testimony of Hezekiah in Second Kings eighteen five is this: that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Now, any time the Holy Spirit makes a statement like that about somebody, I want to find out what this dude did to, to cause the Holy Spirit to, to put that in the, in the Word of God, that he, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So those kings of Judah before Hezekiah and after him, there was none like him among them all. So I think that when we, when we seize, uh, uh, you know, a verse like that and a statement that the Lord has made about an individual, that if we can see what they did, obviously Hezekiah did something to please God. Obviously, he did, and I mean, you know, in the under this old under the old covenant, if he could if he could do some good stuff and please God, I mean, um, I want to find out what what he did and and help that to be a pattern for my life because Paul said that those those Old Testament characters and the things that happened to them and to Israel were were examples for us and patterns for us to go by. Amen, and so. We, we begin to look last week at, uh, at the life of Hezekiah. And I made a statement and I said one of the prominent hallmarks of Hezekiah's life is that he was a survivor. He survived uh, a lot of different things. He survived an attack by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He survived a deadly sickness. He survived the, the murderous idolatry. Uh, idolatrous practices of Ahaz, his father, who burnt some of his children in the fire. And so we know that Hezekiah was a survivor. The Bible said that he trusted in the Lord his God. It said in, in 2 Kings 18, 5 and 6, that he trusted in the Lord his God, that he claved to the Lord, and that he departed not from following him but kept his commandments. That's a pretty good testimony of an individual. Amen. I would like that to be able to be said by the Lord in, for, uh, concerning my life, concerning Rick Hensley. Amen. So um, he's worth taking note of. He is, um, he's gives us a good example. I mean, he, he, um, he, he lived a good life. So just a little bit of refresher. Some of the things that we talked about last week, and I'll just mention a couple of these. In, in, um, in the character, the faultless character that Hezekiah demonstrated, 
is that, um, you know, he came on the scene, as I said last week, in a time when, when the nation of Judah was at a low ebb. His father Ahaz had been a very wicked king and had led uh, the people of God into idolatry and they had, they had went low and deep into sin. And so God raised up Hezekiah. God always has somebody. You know, when we think about the condition of our nation today, the condition of the church in general today. We think about how we need a move of God in our nation. We need a spiritual awakening. The church needs revival. And uh, sometimes when you look at our country and you look at our nation and you look at some of the folks that are throwing their hat in the ring for the next election and you think, Lord, is there hope for us uh, at all, and you look at the condition of the church, and there today I just uh, I sent Brother Jim a a, um, a video of a a a a a Pentecostal organization, and their um, their president of that organization came on and said that they have now met and decided that they no longer stand for total abstinence of alcohol, but they will allow their ministers in their fellowship to drink moderately if they want to. And when you, when you, when you hear, it just made me sick it, it, just to hear this man given ludicrous examples to why this was okay and just basically denying the Word of God. And you know, here's the thing. Once you open the door to something like that, the next, you know what the next step is? Well, it's okay to, to ordain a homosexual. You know, I mean, that's just the next step. That's the way Satan works. But when you look at the situation that's going on in the spiritual climate, the spiritual condition of our nation the, and, and of our church, and you think, man, what is there any hope? I'm going to tell you, God... God can raise somebody up. God can raise up a church. God can still bring revival. Amen. We never want to lose hope and never want to give up. And that's what we see in the life of Hezekiah. God raised him up. God had a chosen one waiting in the wings. Amen. And he brought that nation from the depths of degradation to the heights of holiness. He was faultless in his character. The Bible said that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. We talked about that last week. Nothing is hid from God's eyes. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David did. And in 2 Kings 18, 5, the text that I read said that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So he had put his trust in God. And verse 6, here's, I love verse 6, said that he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. In other words, he gave his all. He clave to the Lord. That means he was glued to God. He was welded to the Lord. There was no separating him from God. He was faithful to the very end. Now, Hezekiah did do some foolish things in his life, but he never turned away from God and turned to idolatry. He was faithful in his worship to the Lord God Jehovah. And verse 7 says that the Lord was with him and that he prospered him wherever he went forth, whithersoever he went forth. So the favor of God was on Hezekiah's life. He had the presence of God. The Lord was with him. You know, 
Anytime you cleave to the Lord and you do what's right in the sight of the Lord and you obey the Lord and you live for the Lord and you serve the Lord and you're faithful to the Lord, the Lord is going to be with you. His presence will be with you. The devil will say many times, well, the Lord's left you or the Lord's forsaken you. But I'm going to tell you what. Whether you feel him or whether you don't, you can know that he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Hallelujah. If you stick with the Lord, I can tell you he will stand by you. He is with you. He is for you. And he is living on the inside of you. Can I get an amen tonight? Hallelujah. And so God was with him. God was with him. And he prospered him. And he blessed him. And he took care of him. And so we, we, we went through those characteristics and uh, the character of this great man Hezekiah and the influence that, that he had on the people and what a great leader he was. And he was great because of his, the life that he lived. But there was some, there's something I want you to look at tonight about Hezekiah, and that is that when, when he came on the scene, he was a great, Hezekiah was, was a great reformer. He came on the scene and brought revival and reformation to the people of Judah. He brought them back to where they needed to be with God after they had drifted so far away from God. Oh, my Lord, help us today. That's my prayer today. God, help me to be able to bring folks back to where they need to be with God if they've drifted away from God. Help us, God, raise up some men and women today to bring the church back to where we need to be with God. We've got to come back as a church, as a Pentecostal church. Our Pentecostal church has got to come back. Do you know why we're, we're seeing this 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 drifting over into, into, into compromise with sin because the church has left the cross of Christ. We have forsaken the cross. We have gone after every other thing that we can imagine or think of and all that leads to is sin and compromise and, and drifting away from God. Come on, amen? We've got to have a revival, a reformation within the church today to bring the church back to the gospel back to the old fashioned gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ everything we need and I know people say well I, I get tired of hearing that well <laughs> I don't know where else you're going to go because that's the only, only place you're going to get what you need is through what Jesus has done for you at the cross there is nothing else that is the gospel that is the gospel Amen? But Hezekiah immediately began a campaign of reform in the nation of Judah and among God's people. So in 2 Chronicles, you're in 2 Kings, flip over to Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, in the 29th chapter. Let me read some scripture here. I'm, I even I made some more notes today to add to what I had last week, so I got more than I need. But I'm just praying the Lord to just give me what He wants me to say to y'all here tonight, to this church service tonight. But in Second Chronicles 29, verse three, beginning with verse three, of course, verse one talks about 
Hezekiah begins to reign when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years. Verse 2 tells us that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to David. We talked about that. Same thing is recorded in 2 Kings. But in 29 and 3 says, in the, He in the first, notice this, notice his priority. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said to them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Oh, hallelujah. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and have forsaken Him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. He's just just laying it out there. This is is where we're at. This is called negative preaching today. Amen? But he was laying it out there and saying, here's where we're at. And before you can do something about where you're at, you got to know where you're at and got to know what you got to do to fix the problem. Amen? Amen? And that's the problem with the church today is they don't know where they're at. They're far from God, but they're being told by the preacher it don't matter, everything's all right anyway. Well, we need to realize where we're at. There needs to be some reform going on, amen, within the body of Christ today. But Hezekiah wasted no time. Now, he wasted no time in bringing reform and revival to the people. The spiritual matters... The spiritual situation and the matters came first with Hezekiah. He had his priorities in the right place. He knew that that his father, Ahaz, had led these people into into deep sin and there had to be a turn around. There had to be a change. There had to be revival. There had to be a coming back to the Lord. So the Bible says, and I'm going to go back and forth here, from, from Chronicles to Kings, uh, if I can, but, uh, the, but just bear with me. The Bible says that, that, that in verse number 3, that the first thing that he did was that he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, had closed up. He had shut up the doors of the house of God, of the temple. He had, uh, in verse 24, it tells us that, that he had shut those doors of the house of the Lord. Now, this was a terrible thing that Ahaz did. 
Because when you think about, my Lord, when you think about, and you go back and read and you study about when Solomon built this glorious temple and at the dedication of that temple, when they came in and they brought the Ark of that Covenant in there and they dedicated that, that temple and the Bible said that the glory of the Lord, they were all, that whole place, everybody in there, the Levites and all the priests and everyone that was assembled there, they were playing their instruments and the music and they were worshiping God all in one accord and the Bible said that the glory of the Lord God, God's, God's presence came down and it said that the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not even stand to minister because the glory of the Lord had come down and filled the house of God oh hallelujah what a glorious day that was but now we look and we see that, 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 that the, the holy articles of, of, of worship in that temple had been removed by Ahaz. He, he took the brazen laver and, and, and the altar. Everything had been removed and changed and, and idols had been brought in and set up in the temple of God. The, house, the doors of the house had been closed off and the worship of God had been shut off. And Ahaz and the people had gotten so far away from God that now the doors were closed and there was no more worship true worship of God going on is anybody with me oh well brother Rick we're not there today well the sin of Ahaz is still going on today Amen. Many are doing the same thing today. I'm talking about I'm talking about here, you know what Hezekiah did. The first thing was he got the church opened back up. He got the house of God the doors. Oh, he started having church. He said we got to get it ready to have some church again. Amen. Don't look for Pastor Rick to start cutting out services. Amen. Boy, let me tell you something. As a pastor, sometimes that temptation comes because, you know, you know, people, the, the enemy comes and says, ain't nobody hardly coming. We got a good crowd here on Wednesday night. I tell you what. We got a good crowd here on Wednesday night. But the enemy will say, you know, ain't hardly nobody comes, you know. Everybody else, everybody else done away with Sunday night church you're one of the only ones that still has Sunday night church and you know we had a we had 60 or more this past Sunday night I believe you know had a good turnout for Sunday night it might have been more than that I don't remember but anyway anyway the point is this the temptation is there to always to, you know, well, let's cut out some services. But you know what I believe? You know what I believe? You know what I feel in my heart? That it's not the will of God for this church or any other church to start cutting out services. If we need to be doing anything today, we need to be adding to. So, so we need some more services. We need more church instead of less church. My Lord, I wish I could get that into the hearts of some people, those that feel that, 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 that church is not that important. My, we're going to keep the doors of the house of God open. Come on, somebody. See, it's the poor attendance and lack of spiritual desire and the lack of support by lukewarm saints that has caused the, shuttings, the shutting of the doors of many a church today. 
drive through any town, most any town on a Sunday night and notice your Pentecostal churches who used to thrive on Sunday night church but many of those Pentecostal churches are empty and they're dark and the doors are closed and I believe with all of my heart saints of God that that is not pleasing with the Lord tonight amen when Christians you know because you know what that shows us that Christians have somewhere somewhere along the line they have lost their desire for the house of God and when we lose our desire for the house of God we need a revival we need to be stirred in our soul hallelujah amen something is wrong somewhere Listen to this in verse 6 and 7. You know, and I read it to you already, but, but, but this is what Hezekiah said to the Levites. He said, Our fathers have trespassed. They have done that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. They've forsaken Him. They've turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord. They've turned their backs. They've shut the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense. See, when Israel drifted from God, they soon corrupted God's house. And then they forsook God's house. When people become delinquent regarding church, it's a there's a problem there spiritually. There has to be. And I dealt with an individual the other day that was that was talking about that, you know, and and uh, said to me, and this is one thing, please, please, if you believe this, please don't say this to me. Okay? Because I can already just tell you what I'm going to answer you, okay? Because I hear this quite a bit. And then someone said, well, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Please don't say that to me. That's right. Amen, sister. That's exactly what I said. I said, no, that's true. But if you are a Christian, you will want to go to church. If you don't want to go to church, there's something wrong with your relationship and your relationship with God. Because that's the first thing I remember when I got saved. You know, when I got saved, I, I didn't, you know, before I got saved, I didn't want anything to do with the house of God. I didn't want anything to do with Christian people. I had my own crowd I run with, and they sure wasn't a part of that Pentecostal church. Come on, amen. But boy, that Sunday morning, I got born again. I got saved. I went to that altar and wept, wept bitter tears and the Lord Jesus Christ came into my heart. I came in there a sinner and I left there a child of God. Hallelujah. The things that I was doing and wanted to do, I didn't want to do them anymore. Hallelujah. I had a filthy mouth, but I got up from there and the cussing was gone. The desire for alcohol was gone. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say amen today. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? And the first thing I wanted to know was, when do I get to come back and be here and do this again? I, I was changed on the inside. There was a desire in my heart for the house of God. Amen. So, you know, that's what I, that's, you know, that, that's what I told the, the person. I said, well, you know, if you have a right, and I understand. So, and, and see, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, there are some people that can't go to church because of physical problems or whatever. They can't go. 
But if they're truly saved, you know, here's the thing. They want to go, but they can't go. My problem is with those that can go and don't want to go. Are you with me? Amen? All right. I wasn't intending to spend that much time on that, but we need a revival in this area. There's people in this church, a part of Abundant Life Family Church, needs a revival in this area right here. Mm. See, and I'm preaching to the wrong group tonight because y'all's here. You're the ones that want to be here. But it's an evidence that revival's needed in the church when so many turn their backs on the house of God. He went on to say that the light of testimony had been quenched. They had put out the lamps, that the, the, the candlestick there in the holy place, the lamps of God, you know, the menorah, the flames, that, that, those, 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 that seven-branched candlestick that was a flame, uh, kept aflame by the holy oil. That was put in there. It had become unbearable to those under Ahaz's rule because they liked darkness rather than they do light. And they wanted falsehood more than they wanted the light of the truth because that, that candlestick was a, was a type of Christ, Jesus, the light of the world. It was a type in revelation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is filled with that oil and shining that light. Amen? And, 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 and so, you know, that lamp stand was to be tended to every morning. That priest went in there every morning and filled it with oil and made sure those lamps were burning. Every evening, that last thing he did would go in there and put oil and replenish the oil in those lamps so that lamp, that fire would keep burning. Come on. There's got to be a replenishing of the oil of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and our lives and within our church if we're going to continue to burn brightly for Jesus. This church is a lampstand. It's a light to this community. Hallelujah. In the book of Revelation, we see the Lord Jesus Christ walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And my prayer every Sunday morning is, Lord Jesus, come to your candlestick and walk in our midst and be here with us and keep the fire of God and the lamp of God burning. But they had let the lamps go out. The oil had been burnt out of those lamps. They snuffed them out. It didn't say that they just went out. It said that they put out the lamps. They wanted no more light. There's too many churches that have put out the light of the Holy Ghost. They have snuffed out the moving of the Holy Ghost. Come on church. We've got to have another Hezekiah reformation and revival in the church again today. Just forget about Bible study. I can't do that. i got to preach. Amen. Praise God. Those lamps were a type of the church filled with the oil of the Spirit, illuminated with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a sad experience that is when they put out the lights. It's kind of like those five foolish virgins when their lamps had gone out because there was no oil. The offering of incense, it said, they have not burned incense. They didn't offer the sacrifices. What does that mean? When that was stopped, 
course, that incense was a type of the intercession of Christ. It was a type of prayer. So prayer was abandoned. Prayer to God was abandoned. I'm going to move on. I'm just going to leave that one lay. But the prayer meeting is the least attended service in any church. Nobody wants to offer the incense of prayer unto God anymore. But notice what Hezekiah did. It said that he, in verse 16 of that 29th chapter, it says, he said to the Levites, he called the Levites together, and he said to the Levites, sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house. Sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house. It starts with the ministry, but it goes from there to the house. Come on, amen? Sanctify yourselves and sanctify your house. I'm in verse 5. And carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. And then verse 16. And the priests went into the inner part and brought out. Listen. Went into the inner part of that temple and brought out all the uncleanness. Hezekiah was called by God for the purifying of that temple. Filthiness was in the house of God. Filthiness was in the temple, and that was twofold, of course. There was, there was a physical filthiness and dirtiness and debris physically that was in the temple because it had been closed up. It had been not been used for some time, so everything was dirty. You, you, you know what, what, how a building gets, a house or anything else, when it's just vacated and, and nothing's done to it and it's just ignored. It had been covered with dust and dirt from neglect. It needed a good, it needed a good cleaning, but, but, but that was not the only thing. There was not just the physical filthiness, but there was also the spiritual filthiness that had to be removed from God's holy temple because Ahaz had brought a lot of idolatry and unclean things into the temple. As I said, he removed the golden labor, laver. He snuffed out the light of the candlesticks. The altar of incense was not being used anymore. The table of showbread, all of that. But he had in its place brought in a lot of idolatrous things. Ahaz, uh, if, if you'll read, and I'll just make mention of this, but in, in 2 Kings 16, when you read about Hezekiah's father Ahaz, there was one time that Ahaz was in Damascus and when he was in Damascus they were idolaters and, and Ahaz happened to see an altar there in Damascus that he thought was so much more beautiful this will preach folks that he thought was so much more beautiful than that old brazen altar that was back at the temple and so he got a pattern and a drawing of that altar and he sent it back to Jerusalem to the high priest and he said I want an altar made like this one 
It was a it was a, a the altar of Damascus. It was referred to as the great altar. He said, I want an altar like they've got in Damascus. That brazen altar. Listen to me. That brazen altar. Are y'all following me? Amen. That brazen altar that was there in the temple was an altar that was give the pattern of which was given by God Himself. That altar, that brazen altar in that temple represented Calvary. It represented the cross. It was designed by Almighty God and it was the only place that the sacrifices were to be made. But Ahaz desired an altar that was patterned after a worldly altar. Hallelujah. So he brought in a worldly altar and set it beside God's altar and began to offer on the worldly altar and listen the church is doing the same thing today we've brought the filthiness of the world into the church and forsaken the cross the altar of God the blessing of God for our life is that right We want to be like the world. We want an altar like Damascus. The altar, and that altar of Damascus became a substitute for the ordained altar of God. This has become the problem in the church world today. Not totally, not a total, necessarily a total forsaking of the cross and of Calvary. But what's happening in the church is we have built new altars as substitute for the work of Christ on the cross. We've built new altars to bring in and set beside it and think, well, we just mentioned, you know, if you ask most pastors, what do you believe? Well, sure, I believe in the cross. Sure, I believe in the work of Christ. But most of the time, they're just talking about to get you saved. After that, though, there's, you know, if you want to live right, there's, oh, there's just so many other things you might need. You might need to go to uh, celebrate recovery. Now it's getting quiet. You might need to go to some program or have some um, psychological counseling or something to get back into your past to figure out why you're having these problems and stuff. And my point is this. My point is this. We've brought the modern altars of the world in and set them beside the cross and thinks that, think that we can mix the two together. And can I tell you something? That Calvary mixes with nothing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the cross and the cross alone. It's the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ alone. Amen? We're not mixing any anything else with it it's not Jesus and Jim and brother Jim and I were talking about this right for church it's not Jesus and the 40 days of purpose come on amen it's not Jesus and some kind of 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 mystic something or other or, uh, you know contemplative prayer or meditation or this or that or the other it's Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead it's his blood and his blood alone that's what Hezekiah was getting them back to he had Hezekiah's reformation began with tearing stuff down and tearing stuff up 
<laughs> oh, help me, Jesus. You're going to give me just a few more minutes? Listen. I'm going back, okay, going back to 2 Kings now. Said this in 2 Kings 18.4, right along parallel with what he had said, okay, what we'd read in Chronicles, that he told them to sanctify the house of God, carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place, and that they went in to the inner part of the house of the Lord and cleansed it and brought out all the uncleanness. That altar was one of those things that was unclean, but there was many others. Notice in 2 Kings 18.4, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. This, listen, this first work of reform and revival that Hezekiah was involved in included removing some things taking down some things, smashing some things, uprooting some things, getting rid of some things, carrying out some things, casting out some things. Come on, amen. The first aspect of that revival was a destructive aspect. We don't want to hear this part because this type of work is never appreciated by the carnal-minded. Never is. It's too negative. What I'm talking about here tonight is too negative for most people. If I preach this on a Sunday morning and there was people, visitors here, they may not come back. But you know what? I mean, the truth, listen, it's the, it is what it is, church. It was too negative. The critics would say that Hezekiah, you're not being very positive, son, in your ministry. Why, you're being too destructive. You're not being constructive enough, Hezekiah. Let me read to you what God told Jeremiah. When God, have you ever read this in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10? When God called Jeremiah as a prophet and gave him his mandate to go preach, do you know what he said? He said, see, here's what God said to Jeremiah. I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. And here's what you're to do. You're to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and then to build up into plant. There was more rooting up and tearing down and destroying had to be done before there could be some planting and some building. I'm here to build you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to feed you. I'm here to get you to heaven. But before there can be some building up, a lot of time there has to be some demolition. There's some stuff got to come out. There's some stuff got to be cleaned up. Is anybody hearing me tonight? Hallelujah. We are not at Abundant Life Family Church, Brother Rick, you shouldn't do it. We are not going to compromise our stand of the Word of God for anybody. 
I told Brother Jim a while ago, I said, I'll tell you what. I pray that the, that the organization that I'm a part of, the Pentecostal Church of God, never changes their stand on abstinence. Because the very first day they do, my credentials are coming out of my pocket and they're going in the mail. Amen? And this dude, you know, this president of this other organization said, well, you know, we can all get along in this. If you, if you believe in abstinence, we still, we, you know, yeah, you, you practice that. But those who don't, we're not going to say anything to them much. You don't want me in that. I ain't going to be a part of that mess. That is uncleanness that needs to be put out of the house of God, not brought in. Not brought in. Paul told, Paul told that church, those Ephesian believers, do not give any place to the devil. The whole time this guy, I didn't want to preach on this tonight, but the whole time this guy was, I was listening to his spill. And he was trying to justify what he did, or what they did. And he was trying to justify it. And the whole time I'm listening, I'm thinking, I, I, can't, I can't believe what I'm hearing. These are supposed to be men that have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But, but, but the whole time I'm listening to, the, to him, I'm thinking, because, you know, there's no clear-cut biblical evidence, he says, you know, about abstinence from alcohol abstain, total abstain, abstaining from it and I'm sitting there and I thought have you never read Proverbs 20 verse 1 wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise and I'm thinking dude you've just been deceived by that thing I had a lady come to me in a church I pastored years ago. She wanted to know. And every once in a while, somebody will email me or something and ask me my stance on this. And she wanted to know what I thought about if it was okay just to drink alcohol moderately. <laughs> well, that's my feelings too, but... I gave it to her like this. I said, well, here's the thing. And I turned her over. To, we turned over to Proverbs chapter 23. Well, let's just go there. I'm, I'm so far off of where I'm supposed to be anyway. We just well, praise God. Give me a few more minutes. Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 23. We're talking about cleaning out the house of God, aren't we? I know there's nobody here tonight in, in this situation, but, you know, we want to just make our position known. Proverbs 23. <clears throat> okay, verse 29. And I, and, I, and I took her to this, and I said, look, look what the Scripture says. Of course, I had taken her to 20 and verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And then I said, look, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? 
who has babblings? I tell you, you ever been around somebody that's had a little too much to drink? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Verse 31. And then, of course, if you stop there, somebody say, Well, see, yeah, but Brother Rick, that's saying don't tarry long at it. It's okay just to have a little bit of it. On a, a little bit won't hurt. We're talking about moderation. Well, let's look at verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. What's he talking about there? He's describing the process of fermentation where grape juice becomes alcoholic. Amen? Now, I know people, I stand in a line at Country Mart one time and listen to these two people, the checkout girl and this dude in front of me, and they was talking about drinking. And I thought, I ain't saying nothing. I'm staying out of it. And then about that time, that, that guy said, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. And I said, hold on just one minute. I said, he did not turn any water into no alcoholic wine. No Mogan David. No Mad Dog 2020. Come on, somebody. No Boone's Farm strawberry. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. <laughs> no way. That old boy didn't know what to think, you know, and I, started, I just started preaching about it right there in the checkout line at Country Mart. And that old boy just kind of stuttered, and he said, well I, 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 well, I don't drink anyway. I thought, you lying thing, you. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I'm glad we ain't on Facebook Live tonight. Glory to God. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. He said, don't even look upon it when it's red, when it moves itself, when it, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. And then he says, at the last. Okay, here's the bottom line on alcoholic beverages. Here's where alcohol will bring a person to. You know, they're, listen, they're, here's, here's what God says about it. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, and it stingeth like an adder. And I told that young lady, I said, Do you know that the serpent and the adder are types of the devil and demon spirits? And I said, right there, I said, the Holy Spirit is linking alcoholic beverage to demons and to the devil. And I said, I don't know about you, but I don't want anything coming into my body that has any connection with a serpent or with a scorpion or with an adder or anything that's connected with Satan or with demons. Come on, somebody. Amen. And when a church decides and an organization decides that it's okay for our ministry, to drink a little bit they're flirting with serpents and scorpions and demons come on they don't call. listen there's a reason why they call those the, the alcohol spirits 
I don't even know where I'm at here in these notes. I'm lost. Oh, yeah. Tearing down. I'm still tearing down and uprooting. <laughs> I'm tearing down and uprooting and hammering out and dragging it out and getting it outside. Come on. Amen. Woo. Listen, we welcome people here. We welcome people to come here that are, that are alcoholics, that are drug addicts, that are bound by alcohol. You know why we want them here? We don't want to run them off. We don't want to tell them they can't come. Because you know why? Because if they'll come here and they'll keep coming here, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're going to hear about the very one who can deliver them and set them free from that bondage. Alcohol brings a bondage. Alcoholism is a bondage. But Jesus Christ sets free. He goes into the deep innermost parts of that temple like Hezekiah did and he pulls out the uncleanness and he sets the captive free and he delivers the oppressed. Nobody has to be bound by that and they don't need AA and they don't need NF's 12 step program. All they need is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Woo! My, help me, Jesus. We're accused today, if we preach against sin, we're criticized for not being loving enough. We should be more loving. A preacher that won't tell a, 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 a preacher that won't preach against. The sins that will send a person to hell doesn't love those people. Today, if we preach repentance, we're being negative. If we preach separation from the world, we're called uncaring and accused of being judgmental. Don't judge me. We're only supposed to preach love and blessing and sweetness. But listen, church, we're living in a wicked day today. And today is the day when we need some Hezekiahs. Today is the day we need some Jeremiahs. Today is the day in which the ministers of the gospel need to get up and cry out against sin and denounce evil and preach separation from the world. Every major revival that's ever come in the Bible or in church history has always been has always come and been followed by preachers who preached heavy against the sins of the of the nation of the world that preached holiness, that preached repentance, that preached praying through and getting right. And when the church got right and when the church church cleaned up and when the church prayed through and when the church got full of the Holy Ghost then those outside came in and there was soul saved there's not going to be a harvest of souls till the church gets right amen till the church gets right I used to preach a lot of revivals even after I pastoring but I don't get called anymore imagine that Imagine that. Oh, Jesus. Hezekiah removed the high places, it said. He was the one king that did something there that the other kings failed to do. You read five or six different times 
about other kings, several kings in Judah that were given compliments for their good conduct and how they followed the Lord and did good. But then, but it, but then it will say, except they failed to destroy the high places or they still worshipped at the high places. They, they, they compromised just a little bit. Hezekiah went all the way. And it said he, he, he didn't fail in the work. He removed those high places as well. He completed. He made a complete work. Verse 4 said that he break the images and he cut down the groves and he break the pieces in pieces the brazen serpent, serpent that Moses had made for in those, unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He, 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 listen, Hezekiah got out the hammers. And he became the great image breaker. And he crushed them. Everything that was not of God, he broke it to pieces. He cut down the groves. All the Ashereth poles, which, were, which represented the Canaanite female goddess of fertility. The grove was, were those carved wooden poles that were in the form of that goddess. It was an immoral thing that was associated with Baal. And Hezekiah got in there and he cut all of those down. Everything that was associated with idolatry and that was not of God throughout that country he got rid of all of it because true revival listen to me church true revival always promotes morality the Asherah creed and the practice must go immoral lifestyles must go we must let the people know that premarital and extramarital sex is wrong we must still give, a, give our voice to the truth that homosexual relationships are wrong and it's sin the filthiness has to be gotten out of the temple of God we will not compromise oh brother Rick you better watch out because you're liable to get in trouble I'm telling you what we'll just have to get in trouble because if the Bible says it's unclean and if the Bible says it's filthy then we are going to proclaim what thus saith the Lord the immoral can be made clean the unholy can be made holy the homosexual can be made straight God did not make them that way they can be changed but only through what Jesus Christ has done for them at Calvary amen there must be an emphasis on holiness that Jesus will cleanse I gotta quit I gotta quit every sanction of immorality of any kind has got to be dealt with and removed He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Y'all remember the brazen serpent in the wilderness? This thing was 800 years old. They called it Nehushtan, which means a, a piece of brass. It was 800 years old. They'd carried this thing around, saved it, kept it for 800 years, and now they were worshiping the thing. It was, it was burning incense to it. It was, it was something that God had Moses to, to make and put up on a pole to represent Calvary. And everyone that was bitten by a serpent, which represented being bitten by sin, was to look at that brazen serpent on the pole. Jesus said, Jesus said it was a type of him because he says that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But what they had done, they had taken this thing and made an idol out of it. Amen? It was, it was, it was, it was the thing 
that was a symbol of redemption, a symbol of redemption through Calvary, now became an object of worship and an idol. And so many churches have done the same thing because so many churches today have made idols out of water baptism and idols out of the Lord's Supper and idols out of their denomination. But it doesn't make any difference. Amen. It's still an idol. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a part of a denomination or because I've been baptized in water. I'm going to heaven tonight, not because I've taken the Lord's Supper. I'm going to heaven because I've been to Calvary and I've been born again and I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Catholicism worships the Eucharist. They worship the host. It's what Israel was doing here and Hezekiah busted that thing all to pieces and got rid of that thing because it was a stumbling block to the people. Are you getting the message? Cleaning house. Cleaning house. And then the Bible said that he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Judah was a vassal state to, I mentioned last week, to Assyria. They were paying tribute to Assyria. They were under the thumb of the king of Assyria. He was holding some sway over Judah. But Hezekiah rose up in this revival, and he decided that he was not going to be subjected to evil anymore or to the, to the hold of this king anymore. So he rebelled. See, this is the kind of rebellion that we need today. It's a rebellion against the enemy. Because sin and Satan seek to dominate the child of God. And sin and Satan will dominate your life if you and I will allow him to do so. If you and I don't know how to be free, if we don't know how to be delivered, then Satan will control and dominate our lives and bind us in so many ways. We sang about it tonight. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. But we have got to know what we have in Christ and rise up in Jesus and say, no more devil, no more, no more. You've held me long enough. I know that at Calvary, Jesus Christ set me free. He delivered me and he broke your whole devil off of my life. I refuse to be bound anymore. I'm telling you, this is what true revival is. When people get cleaned up, when people get liberated, when people get set free, when people get full of the Holy Ghost, when people get full of the joy of the Lord, that is genuine, true, Holy Ghost, revival and reformation, and we must have it in the church today. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Give the Lord a praise. The greatest king that Judah ever had. And you can see why. Because he brought the people back to God. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me?